0: This is your daily real estate syndication show and I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Mauricio Rold. Thanks for being on the show, Mauricio. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Really appreciate it. Yes, I'm pleased to have you on the show, and your expertise is so needed, right, you know, in this business, and, you know, perfect guest for the syndication show. But Mauricio is the founder and CEO of Premier Law Group, an internationally recognized securities firm that spends 100% of their practice on syndication for real estate investors. Regularly travels around the country speaking to real estate investors and entrepreneurs, educating them about the syndication legal piece that fits into the overall syndication puzzle. He's known for taking complex matters and making them the easiest to understand. I really liked this about your bio. And it's jokingly referred to as one of the few lawyers who actually speaks English. <laughs> yeah. But he's been on the stage with Robert Kisaki, Kim McElroy, Peter Schiff, Brad Sumrock, and of course the real estate guys. And so he he is well known in this industry. And, and thanks again for being on the show. And I'm looking forward to getting into it, Mauricio. And- but maybe give the listeners a little more about your background and then we're gonna jump into some big mistakes beginners make getting in the syndication business.
1: Yeah, so I you know I started my practice, you know, like every other attorney dreams up. I went to work with a pretty large securities firm here in Long Beach, California, actually the largest securities firm in Long Beach and did the litigation piece. So it was actually interesting. I, I used to deal I used to represent the JP Morgan's of the world, the Merrill Lynch's and all those guys, but I always got the stuff once the you know what hit the fan, right? I'd get the complaints, I'd have to answer it, I'd go through Depositions, interrogatories, all that court appearances, you know, motions, all that stuff. And even though it was a great firm, I just felt like it, you know something was off. And and I finally got around to reading that little purple book, which I'm sure everybody's read, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that really resonated with me. And and obviously, I, and I didn't want to continue working at the firm till I was 65 and you know dead. So I actually went to work for Robert and Russ from the real estate guys as their in-house counsel, and that's kind of where I started really doing syndications. This was probably. 15, 17 years ago, and still Robert's my, my personal client. And, you know, I've been doing this for 15, 16 years. And, and about, I don't know, six years ago, I just decided to drop everything else and just focus 100% on syndication, which which I think is important because a lot of lawyers, especially the local ones, they are securities attorneys, but that's a pretty big field. And, you know, maybe their syndication practice is 25%. And they don't really have a grasp of all the rules. But if you talk to a syndication lawyer, and I'm not the only one, obviously, there's others that do 90 100 of the syndication that's really who you want to be talking to because they don't have to go research anything they they know when they're updated on the on the latest updates on the law.
0: That makes sense to me. I mean, you're in it day in, day out. You know so many people in the industry. You're looking at so many different structures and types of deals, and you're going to be so knowledgeable just doing this every day. But I wanted us to discuss just some of the biggest mistakes that syndicators make. They come into this industry. You know, there's there's many things we need to know before we just think we're going to be a syndicator, right? And so, you know, just get us started in that, and then obviously I'll have some questions as we go
1: yeah, I think the biggest issue is obviously newbies or first time syndicators don't know what they don't know. And I think the biggest mistake is that they think that the way they're putting their deal together somehow gets them around the securities laws. and they'll make up stories in their head or, or maybe they've been told by other people that, oh no, no, that's not a security. And so they try and structure things uniquely, like you know they they'll set up a like a profit share agreement. or actually my favorite is a TIC agreement. They're like, oh wait, we're all direct owners in the property. You know, this is not a syndication and nothing could be further from the truth. According to the SEC, the definition of a security, which is really why we're involved in securities law is you're issuing a security, it's super broad. Does anybody use the word super anymore? It's really broad. <laughs> it's really broad. And it includes obviously the stocks, the bonds, the mutual funds that you typically think of, LLCs, notes, obviously, but it also includes TIC agreements, profit sharing agreements, you know, side contracts, handshakes, high fives, what whatever. It doesn't matter the structure of your syndication. What matters is, and this is kind of my cheat sheet, anytime you take money from an individual where the return is generated by your efforts, you are dealing with the security. In other words, if they're passive, they're giving you a check and then they're going home and sitting on the couch, you are dealing with the security whether you no matter how you structure it. And so I think that's probably the missing, the missing link with newbies, because once you're dealing with the security, of course, now there's really three things we need to worry about, which we'll get to in a second, but that's kind of, I think that's the number one mistake for new indicators.
0: I think some people will say, well, you said generated by your efforts or so, so by my efforts, well, what if this person is doing something in the business or, you know, what does that look like? What do they need to do for that to yeah. qualify?
1: It's really primarily your efforts, right? So yeah, one of the ways that where it would not be considered security is if there's, if it's you maybe a couple other friends or buddies, and you're all kind of entering into a joint venture agreement. Everybody's doing some sort of, you know, involved in the deal, maybe a 30 would be ideal if you contributed kind of an equal amount of money. In those scenarios, you're not really issuing a security, you're really starting a business, you know, you, me and somebody else gets together and we start a business. It's not a security. Now you got to be careful with that because the SEC has come out and said, look, once you get to about five people, you know, we're not really going to be trusting that all five people are going to be able to be doing something. Some people, I actually got a client, a potential client who came in and had like 20 people and they all wanted to be active. And I'm like, that's going to be a really hard sell, if not impossible sell to the SEC, because there's going to be at least one person that ends up doing very little work. And that's going to trigger security for at least that one person. So there are ways, quote unquote, around it, but uh, it has to do with really treating it as a business and we're starting a business as opposed to accepting money. And of course, if you're doing that, you're not taking any sponsor fees or, you know, any, any asset management fees, because why would you, you're just starting a business.
0: Mm, that makes sense. So we'll move on. Yeah. So I always say, whenever you're dealing with the security,
1: there's only really three things that I think about. Number one, you need to register that security or that syndication with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission or we need to find an exemption to registration or it's illegal i mean it's really that simple you got to register you got to find an exemption otherwise it's illegal and you go through that analysis for every single transaction whenever you're selling a security obviously i'm going to assume that not everybody wants to do an illegal offering Uh, hopefully there's no bernie madoffs out there who are looking to commit fraud and all that stuff but you do have to be a little bit careful i mean illegal does also translate into you know misrepresentations, maybe not intentional, but you misrepresent or you fail to disclose or you don't provide the proper documentations when you are required to. So it's not just fraud and stuff. And so that's one of the things you got to be careful about. You really don't want to ever do, I won't say ever, but you really don't want to do a registering your security, a full registration, because it takes about, you know, one or two years to get that through the process. And it takes six to seven figures. So look, if you're in a contract to buy a building, how many of you, you know, show of hands, how many of you have one to two years to wait around for the SEC to approve your deal? You just don't have that time. So most people in my world exclusively run into the exemption pie. So we're always looking for an exemption to registration. And fortunately, there are a couple that are, you know, that 90, 95% of the people use it will be able to fit you know, into one of these depending on the client's needs.
0: What's an example of someone that would need to register? We won't spend much time on it, but who would that be?
1: It's somebody who's doing a large offering that wants to be able to go advertised into every single state and take non-accredited investors and kind of go through that whole, that whole rigor and, and you know, take small investments. I had a client actually who did that, it's an oil and gas company. They were raising, I forget the amount, probably like 50 or a hundred million dollars, but number one, they had to go, you know, they had to go hire an attorney in every single state. That's one of the issues that you've got to deal with federal securities laws, but sometimes you've got to deal with states. So you may have to hire a state securities lawyer. So it's just time consuming. Anytime you're dealing with the government, it's time consuming. You know, they're not not known for being the fastest turnaround people. So that's why we try and avoid it, just time consuming. And then these guys spend a million dollars getting that offering through because for them, it was worth it. They're raising you know $100 million and they're going to you know do all these great things. But for most of us, there's probably another exemption now that this exemption didn't exist back then. I'd probably steer them towards one of these newer exemptions that probably makes more sense now.
0: Yeah. Now we'll keep going. Yeah. So luckily,
1: you know there's really two exemptions that 95% of the people use. And you probably heard these if you're a syndicator, obviously. And uh, These are the, the famous Reg D or Regulation D exemptions and up until 2013, September, I think 21st, 2013, there really was only one, and this is as technical as I'm gonna get, but rule 506B is kind of the old exemption, which used to be just called the 506. And the reason this is really popular is twofold. One, it's a safe harbor, which means if we hit all the points in this rule and we follow the rules, we're guaranteed to be assured that we're, we're following the exemption and the rules. And the other big deal is it preempts state law. And that's just a fancy way of saying we don't have to worry about the states most of the time. So we don't have to go hire an attorney in every single state that you're selling into and pay them to do the work. The federal statute overrules it, except for the they're still anti-fraud provisions. So if, if you know the states, I always joke, they're kind of they've been strict with their power so much that so they're kind of just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. But if they get a fraud case or an alleged fraud case, they're going to jump all over it because that's the only jurisdiction they have left. But that's why Reg D is so is so popular. And then of course, you know, you can raise an unlimited look. You can raise an unlimited amount of money, which is why even the big boys, the Goldman Sachs and the Merrill Lynch's, and they'll raise a billion dollars and use a 506 B because you know they have relationships with all their investors and. Again, it's unlimited money, so why not? The nice thing about 506B is that you can take, obviously, an unlimited amount of accredited investors, and we'll talk about that real quick, and you can take up to 35 non-accredited investors so long as they're sophisticated. And just as a reminder, an accredited investor is someone who either has a net worth of a million dollars, excluding their primary residence, or if they're an individual that they've earned $200,000 the last two years with a reasonable expectation of earning that much this year. So unlimited amount of money, 35 non-accredited. The bad news is of the limitation back then was that you could not advertise or solicit. So you could not go to a conference, for example, and pass out your business plan. You cannot do Facebook ads. You cannot do anything on your website. You know, you just had limitations. You could not put together a webinar with the excuse of them pitching your deal. So there's lots of limitations there.
0: Hey guys, it's Whitney. I wanted to take some time to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com. They're a national private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities. They do this with private accredited investor funds. They have a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and control over $250 million in equity from their investors. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easier for you to start investing in real estate without all the hassles. They even have an average 62% repeat investor rate in each offering they put together. They even have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to fix and flippers locally and across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. To help you learn more, they have put together a free passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download the PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Our guest is Bruce Peterson. Thanks for being on the show, Bruce. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Give us the reasoning behind the book, kind of your purpose and you know, how you're helping others in writing this book, what that's gonna tell us. And let's dive into that a little bit.
2: All right, so the book, I felt I had to write it. And I know that sounds probably cheese ball and all that, but I felt I had to write it. I've mentored people in real estate syndications for six or seven years now. What I kept noticing is that everybody would get into this or start down this path thinking, Oh, this is super simple, right? I understand spreadsheets. And nowadays it seems like everybody's being told, or at least went there themselves, that I can only raise about $4 myself. I don't know anybody, but if I do a deal, and I bring 100 people, that's an exaggeration, but multiple people into a GP, we can all raise $4 a piece, and then we can go out and do this. So people think it's a lot easier than it is, because you'll have people at these traveling road shows, at these two-day free weekend events, or very limited dollars to be paid. But they're just trying to bump you into a coaching program. Again, there's nothing wrong with a coaching program. But they're trying to sell you something. So if somebody's trying to sell you something, they're going to not give you all the warts necessarily. They're going to tell you how great it is and how if you join my program, you're going to be rich tomorrow. I work at 7-Eleven today, but tomorrow I'll be worth $14 billion. That's what they're hearing if they don't say it directly, which they're not going to say that, but that's what they hear on stage. They're going to hear what they want to hear. They're going to get all wrapped up in the hype and the emotion of the event and they're going to get into something that very 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 often they should never have done because it takes a special person to do this and that's what I'm trying to do with the book is pull the curtain back for the price of a book not a $25,000 program or a $40,000 program but I'm showing you every step of the way everybody that you need to work with when you need to work with them how to get your deal done once you're under contract I go through everything but I've got a lot of stories in there too about how I've lost money we've had dead people, we've had arson, we've had home invasions. So I want people to understand that this is a great way to make a living, but there's a lot that goes into it. And it's a lot harder than most people think.
0: No doubt about it. I've seen it time and time again myself. I just remember it was a big process for me looking for a mentor years ago, but it was a, it was a big process. I did not take it lightly. And I'll tell you, you know, you hit on it some there too. I went and traveled to different conferences just to hear different mentors, quote, mentors speak just to get a feel for them and maybe talk to them in person before I handed them any money, right? And there were numerous that it just felt too salesy. Exactly what you're saying. I'm like, oh, wait, you know, I just don't feel like you have any of my interests in mind here. And so that it made me keep looking until I found someone that I felt was, you know, more genuinely concerned about me learning the business and knowing that it's not going to happen overnight.
2: Right. I feel that most of them, I think they're good people, but most of them are transactional. They're not very relational. Right. So I wanted somebody that I could have a real relationship with my coach or my mentor, not just be one of 40,000 people that signed up for your national program. Again, they're good programs, lots of good education, but it's just that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody to be kind of in this with me.
0: Yes. So any other myths that maybe help people kind of debunk a little bit getting into this business besides it's not going to happen overnight. And it's not as easy as what most people are kind of envision that it's going to be. Well, the biggest
2: myth, I would think, and I don't hear as much of it as I did in the 80s, right? I'm 51. So I remember the Gordon Gecko 80s with Wall Street, but other people's money, zero money, zero credit, that crap doesn't work. Now, Having said that, every once in a while, it'll work. It can work, but it's exceptionally rare. It's really hard. Now, I end up with no money in a deal also, but it's because I bought one with a lot of money down, right? 20 to 30% down, operating capital, rehab dollars, closing costs, all that stuff. But then two to four years down the road, maybe I can do a cash-out refi. I pulled my money out at that point, but it did take a lot of money to get involved at the beginning. So it's the people that are saying no money, no credit, Again, it's not that it can't happen. It's so hard and so rare. That's the biggest myth to me. So it still is out there. It's not as common as it was, but people still believe that a lot.
0: What about just advising others to get started now? You talked about like your mentor said, don't go small, go as big as you possibly can. And I know you probably get as many questions every week that I do just getting started in this business. You know, how do we do that? What does that look like? And from what you know now and looking back on how you got started and you've seen, you've helped many people get into this business and, and do it successfully. What do you advise now? Is it obviously finding the mentor, but as far as deal and maybe the part of the business we should focus on and things like that, what should we do? So the number one thing to focus on is money. Everybody always asks me, do I find the deal, then get the money? Do I get the money, then find
2: the deal? Always start with the money. Do not find a deal. If you find a deal with no money, you can't do anything with the deal. And the way you're likely going to structure your first deal, which would be a 506B, I don't know how sophisticated your listeners are, if they've done this before, to know a 506B. If you file that way with the SEC, you can't send your deal to people you don't know and don't have a pre-existing relationship with. So if I meet somebody today, I can't send them my deal tomorrow. I'm not allowed to. So if you find the deal, then go raise money. Well, almost without exception, you're not going to be allowed to raise that money. So you got to start with money first and you just got to get out there. You got to get past your fears because a lot of people, most of us were taught, don't talk about money, right? That's how we were raised. You got to talk about money, guys. You have to. If I'm going to talk to people at a networking event, and this is where we start our relationship, you know, we're trying to get a feel for each other. An early question for me is going to be, okay, thanks for the interest. I'm very flattered. If I do find a deal that fits what you're looking for, how much are you looking to invest? And a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that. If you don't, how do you know how much you have raised? If you need a million dollars to buy a deal and you've got a hundred people and you think all of them will be good for at least 50 and then it's time to raise the money from them, actually get the money into the business bank account and they all give you $3, well, now you're stuck, right? So that's the biggest thing. Again, raise the money, build a network, build a database, get out and talk with any and everybody you can, let them know what you're doing. And what I tell people also with that respect, everybody says, oh, well, I obviously, I'll start with my friends and family, bad idea friends and family are going to tune you out. Because if they were going to do it, they would have already been doing it. I think you need to go to find people that are already of the mindset that real estate is a good investment class. It fits what I'm looking for. If you try to convert people, why their 401k, IRA, the stock market is not a good idea, it's not going to go
0: well. Where do you suggest, say, finding those people, especially getting started? Someone has no network really to begin from.
2: Well, first, just start with the meetups, right? Every major metropolitan area will have 10, 20, 30 different real estate meetups going on all the time. I started my own meetup and that's where almost every one of my first investors came from. 2011, it was me and one other guy. We just started meeting at Starbucks every other Wednesday. And that grew from just the two of us to about four years later, we were at three or 400 people. So that's what I did is I'm not the best nut worker, to be honest, if I walk into a room and i don 't know anybody in the room, I freeze i don 't know what to do. I get really anxious, my heartbeat starts to raise that 's really tough for me, but by starting a meetup, it was my meetup. They were coming to me i didn 't have to go seek them out. they were coming to me, so when they would come into the meetup, they would want to come up and introduce themselves. You're seen as kind of an authority figure just by starting it. Even if you're just learning the ropes, you're still the organizer. So they're going to seek you out. So to me, that's the easiest way to do it. But now everybody and their brother has a meetup now. That's fine. You can still start a meetup, even though there's 400 in your city. If you have a different meetup, a unique meetup, and bring value to that meetup, quality will always rise to the top. So if you've got something to say, and a different approach, and you can bring value, I think start your own meetup.
0: No, I like that idea. And we have talked about it on the show and just the value that can happen there for your own business. But I love how you said quality will rise from the top or raise to the top. And you know, so get in there and provide value to those people that are there, right? Yeah, like I wrote the book and everybody's, well,
2: there, there's hundreds of thousands of books on real estate. Well, if you've got a different message or you have something of value to say and you can communicate well, write the book, start the podcast, start the meetup, do whatever you want to do. Don't let the fact that other people are doing it dissuade you from doing it because you'll never get anywhere that way.
0: For sure. No, I'm a walking testimony of that right there. (laughs) myself. So couldn't agree with you more there. Get out there and make it happen. So now you're starting a meetup. What were some success tips to your meetup? I mean, three to 400 people in a few years, that's pretty successful meetup. And I think you said you raised capital for your first deal out of that meetup. Is that right? Absolutely. So the way it grew, it grew
2: pretty quickly. You know, I just aligned myself with other meetups, other investing groups, and would just let them know that, hey, I'm here at this event with you. But hey, I'm doing my own thing over here on the side. No pitch. I'm not selling anything. I'm just, I want to talk about real estate. I'm trying to learn it. I love what I'm learning. So I just like to sit and talk with people. So, you know, I would gather people from all these other events that I went to. And again, it just mushroomed. People would reach out to me, say, hey, I heard I never even talked to him. I heard. So that network effect really
0: started to kick in and it grew very quickly. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.